0: Hello, everyone. I'm really grateful to be here today. Um, My name is Sarah, and my husband, John, we're here. I don't know if everyone was here when when we did the introductions at the beginning, but I'm really grateful to be here. Um, John and I visit a lot of churches, and I just want you to know that coming to this church and into this, this building and into this church with the people Um, you stand out to me. You have taken such care with so many details. Um, The food, I don't know who, um, peeled all those potatoes and cut up all the fruit, but you took care with that. And the right Bible verse is on the wall in that room about gathering and eating together and being together. Um, From the technology to the music, I mean, this is a really, in some ways, uh, a smallish type church, and yet look how many talented people you have and the care that they have, that you have taken with the music and the decorations and the wreaths. I I honestly feel a little emotional about it. I know if the preacher doesn't need to start crying or this, but I, I see it. It's authentic and it's real and A minister or ministers can't make that happen. I know that Brian is wonderful, but you, the church, are an authentic, real group of people doing this together, and I am very touched by that. I see it. I feel it. I smell it with the candle. Everything. (laughs) So thank you for having me here today on this first day of Advent. My accent comes from Arkansas. Haven't lived there in a long time. But my mother, I want to start with my mother a little bit. My mother, Shirley Gaston, would not say the word pregnant. Anybody, any of you know someone who would not say the word pregnant? It's a little bit like in the distance now. But there are people still, and in Southern culture still, she would not say the word. In her opinion, it was not a word for polite company. When discussing a woman who was pregnant, she would whisper in her very southern accent that the woman is expecting, (laughs) is expecting. And one thing that Brian mentioned when he introduced us is that John and I lived in Uganda for several years. And um, when we were there, we were in our 20s and 30s, we were much younger then. And when we were learning the Lusoga language, We asked our teacher how to say the word pregnant. And he got very embarrassed and said, there is no word in Lusoga for that. There is no word in the language for that. And our teacher said the proper way to describe a pregnant woman, and he whispered, like my mom did, is to say, Alinda, Alinda, which means she is waiting. One woman... Over a week past her due date. Anybody ever been there? I've been there. She once said to me, I'm tired of waiting and carrying around these heavy potatoes every day, and I hope to drop the potatoes very soon. (laughs) Shirley Gaston would have approved of her euphemism, I think. Working in another culture, you have to learn to laugh. Sometimes all these years later, John and I laugh at stuff we thought was funny. And when we do that, we wonder if people at church in Uganda today are telling sermon illustrations about stuff we did that they thought was funny. I'm certain it happens. (laughs) Especially since people in Uganda do not talk about pregnancy openly. We were surprised one day when we got to church and a man who we know was wearing a particular t-shirt, sometimes used t-shirts make their way into markets in Uganda, and people buy and wear shirts, not even knowing or caring what the messages on their shirts mean. On this particular day, we got to church, and a wise elder of the church led the communion service, wearing a pink shirt with this message, baby on board, with an arrow pointing down to his stomach. It seemed especially funny in... A culture where no one talks about pregnancy. <laughs> Waiting, expecting, pregnancy, babies on board. These are the words for the season we're now in. The season of Advent. The season that gets us ready for Christmas. Brian asked me to come talk about Mary. And we, when he asked, he didn't even know how much Mary and I have in common I actually gave birth on Christmas Day in 1995, a long time ago. Our daughter Bryn was born in Kijabi Hospital in the Great Rift Valley of Kenya. I heard there's another baby here that was born in Kenya today. There's back there. So there's another American Kenyan in the crowd. Our daughter was born in Kenya. We gave her the middle name Noel, which is a common name for both boys and girls, born in the Christmas season in East Africa. It's considered an extra special blessing to be born on Christmas Day. So I was expecting in a special way that lined up with the calendar that year. But the point of the Christmas story is not only waiting for or expecting a baby to be born. A bigger part of the story is that God's people were waiting for a Messiah For several hundred years, they waited for Elijah to return and signal the Messiah's arrival. To put it in perspective, for even longer than the United States has been a country, they waited for a king who would come and lead them to military victory. That's the kind of peace they were expecting. We just sang it. Our very first words that we sang as a congregation this morning were, "'O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel.'" They were waiting and waiting with that sentiment. "'Come and ransom captive Israel.'" So that was a big part of the story. And the even bigger cosmic part of this story is that as God's people now, we are waiting. We wait for Jesus to return We anticipate that day when every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. In Uganda, when people look at a pregnant woman, they say, "Ah, Alinda, she is waiting. And when people look at us, God's people in this world, they should say of us, they are waiting. We are a waiting people. We are always Advent people. Now, Given how central waiting is to being God's people, it's interesting how much, how much so much of us, so many of us, how much so many of us hate it. We wait impatiently. We wait with fear. We often wait as those without hope. And then there's Mary. Waiting and expecting in all the right ways. Mary waits with a spirituality of peace I want to explore today. What if people looked at us as God's people and said, there's a people, they are waiting with a spirituality of peace. So I want you to open up to Luke chapter one if you have your Bibles or Bible apps. This is gonna be a verse by verse kind of sermon. And we're going to start in Luke chapter one, verse 26. If you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, you can just do it like the first Christians probably did and just hear it read out loud. You'll be very spiritual. So chapter one, Luke chapter one, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. I'm going to stop already. I'm going to spend a few minutes on this verse. I want us to really get ourselves where we need to be for the rest of the story. It's been on my bucket list for several years to visit the Holy Lands. And just this year, John and I were able to go. We actually rode on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and we walked the streets of Nazareth. Now, when you go to the Holy Lands, you get to see all kinds of things that might have been an important site. And some of that, I don't know, guessing is a little annoying after a while. It might have been this or it might have been that. It's wonderful to be there. You shouldn't get annoyed. But you're just like, it might have been this, it might have been that. I don't know. But when you're in Nazareth, it was my favorite place because when you're there, there's a lot less guesswork going on because it was such a tiny village during Jesus' life. When you go to the remains of ancient Nazareth, you can be almost certain that's where Mary and Joseph and Jesus walked this earth. They worked with wood, they drew water from wells, and they planted seeds in the ground. When you go to the Church of the Annunciation that celebrates what we're talking about today, it says in the church, the word became flesh here. And you feel that, that here. So it was so wonderful to be there. When this story took place, though, I want to tell you a little bit about Nazareth. Nazareth was a place on the fringe in every way imaginable. It was on the fringe of the far reaches of the Roman Empire. Nazareth is never even mentioned in any pre-Christian ancient text. It's, it's not known. Even for the local region, it was inconsequential. It was several, several miles away, there was an impressive city with a fort and a great amphitheater that could hold thousands of people. In contrast, the dwellings in Nazareth had foundations made with local stones, thatched roofs, dirt floors, all held together with mud. Two or three homes were clustered together around a courtyard where livestock roamed and where children played. So the people in Nazareth were on the fringe of the Roman culture, but they were on the fringe also when it came to social class. They were lower class peasants, probably numbering about 300 people. 300 people just in little huts in the whole village. They were on the fringe economically, surviving on subsistence farming with a few artisans like Joseph and Jesus. They were under intense political and economic oppression, living hand to mouth, poor and likely to fall into debt due to heavy taxation. Most people from Nazareth could expect to live into their 30s. That was the life expectancy. In John's gospel, Nathaniel asked, can anything good come from Nazareth? It was not high on anybody's bucket list, except it seems the God of the universe verse 27. The angel was sent to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. In our culture, it is odd to think that a woman gets identified so openly as a virgin or not a virgin. I can only imagine what my mother thinks that I've just said pregnant and virgin (laughs) out loud in this church. But in mentioning that she's a virgin, the story is not meant to shame anybody or to talk about something shameful. Luke cares about history, and he wants to make it historically clear that Jesus was not Joseph's child. A lot of people through the ages have said Jesus was a very good teacher and a very good man, but they do not accept that he was divine. So in identifying Mary as a virgin and telling the story like he does, Luke makes it clear where the early Christian record stands. Jesus was human and Jesus was divine. And that's why it's double underlined in Luke, triple underlined, that Mary is a virgin. There's another detail about this calling Mary a virgin that might escape us in 2019. Any ounce or status or honor women might have had, even in a village of peasants and nobodies, came from being married and from having children. Mary is none of that. She is not the kind of person human society would see as important. She is at the bottom of the social pyramid, as close to the bottom as you can get, but the God of the universe sees her. We can imagine how startling it was then when the angel Gabriel, verse 28, came to Mary and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Mary is greeted like royalty. She is seen, seen. You know what it means to be seen? She is seen as a favored person and it must have stood out to her because she was not accustomed to being seen like that. Verse 29, she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Let's be frank. Mary is having a really weird experience, but she stays calm. And Luke wants us to notice that. It says that she pondered the angel's words. That word ponder is important to understand. In Greek, it means to think or to reason carefully. It's not really what we think of in English so much. To think or to reason carefully, to ponder. The writer wants us to know that Mary is thoughtful. She is able to investigate. She is not mindless. She is not clueless. She is capable of thinking for herself. She is capable of weighing the pros and cons and making a decision for herself It is important that that word ponder is here and that we know what that word ponder means. Verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Again, do not read Mary as a mindless person. She may come from a pre-scientific time, but she knows all about the birds and the bees and where babies come from. And she rightfully requires a logical explanation about a very personal scenario. Verse 35, the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy and he will be called the son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren for nothing is impossible with God. The angel hears Mary's logical question and answers, not only with a technical explanation, which is needed, but also with evidence. She can go to her relative Elizabeth and corroborate what has been said. If you look through Luke and you just want to do something fun this afternoon, this is what I think is fun, go look at how almost every vision in Luke and Acts has a corroboration, a corroborating vision. It's part of the way that evidence happens. Verse 38, then Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. We have heard this story so many times that we sometimes forget its power. We domesticated. Here is a woman in a very real crisis and in the middle of that crisis, she is a model of faith and spiritual strength. It's her spirituality of peace That so many of us want, but we are not sure how to get it. It's her way of waiting and expecting that we desperately crave. I know I desperately crave it, but we are not sure we can do that. Face the crises of life with peace, because the crises of life are hard. As the story goes on, Mary visits with her cousin Elizabeth and find things just as the angel said. I love it that in this story, even the unborn are given a voice as John corroborates what God is doing from Elizabeth's womb. And then Mary sings the song we call the Magnificat. I'm thinking of friends of ours who live in Detroit and are waiting right now. They were told last week, right before Thanksgiving that they have been matched with two children for the foster to adoption process. The expectant mother, Shalmar, is a social worker. She and Ben are well aware that the process will be long and their hearts will be on a roller coaster. But Shalmar wrote to me this week that they want to wait with a spirituality of peace. And I'm thinking of the process of discernment a Bible school in Uganda is going through as they choose a director after the last director left in some amount of controversy. Lots of people have opinions about who should be chosen as the next director, and everyone will not be happy about the outcome. Yet the interview committee seeks to wait and discern with a spirituality of peace. And I'm thinking of a young couple, Casey, a Pepperdine graduate, and Zach, who are facing a significant health crisis in their first year of marriage, waiting for an appointment at Mayo Clinic and trying to wait with a spirituality of peace even though a 27-year-old bride suddenly has seemingly inexplicable lesions on her spine. And in Mary's song, starting in verse 46, Mary reminds all of them and all of us where peace ultimately comes from. The Lord's mercy is great for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary reminds them and all of us in verse 55, the Lord keeps promises forever. Find peace in the Lord's promises to Abraham and his, to his descendants. Mary's crisis was significant. We have to wonder how we would hold up But in it, she models for us that peace is found no matter what crisis we may undergo when we declare with her, here I am, the servant of the Lord. That's Mary's spirituality of peace. And some days, we just have to get up in the morning and say, here I am, the servant of the Lord. But I want to make one thing clear about Mary's spirituality. Historically, Mary has been depicted in famous art as almost faceless and emotionless, with her hands folded and her eyes lowered. In most art, we have covered her with yards and yards of fabric, robbing her of her physical strength and her emotional strength that certainly must have been her characteristics How else does a nine-month pregnant woman take a long journey by land and donkey? She must have been strong in every way. She is so much more than an emotionless statue. We have sometimes pictured Mary's spirituality as some kind of female Christian Buddha, Mary in nirvana experiencing individualized peace and bliss. And in all that we have deprived ourselves of the opportunity to hear what Mary really has to say about peace, the resilience Mary has to model for us, men and women, about how to live at peace in a broken world. So here's how it went down. There had been a prophetic silence for centuries before Jesus' birth, and Mary's song broke the silence. And she said, dangerous, theological, controversial, prophetic things. Mary spoke the truth about a new social order. Verse 52. The Lord has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Did you hear that, Emperor Augustus? Did you hear that, King Herod? You on your thrones, listen to me from my village in the middle of nowhere. Verse 53. The Lord has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Did you hear that? Mary says to the merchant class, did you hear that? She says to the governing class, corrupt priests and religious leaders, leaders who trampled on peasants from Nazareth. Mary declares that the hierarchies of power that dehumanize people at the bottom of society are being dismantled. And those they consider expendable and unclean and voiceless are being given a voice. Before the church was even born, Mary was singing about how we today are called to live out an upside-down social order whose power is revealed in weakness, where those who mourn and those who are meek and those who have hunger and thirst are the most blessed. Mary invites God's people, generation to generation to do exactly what she is doing to co-create with God, who is turning the world's way of doing things upside down. Her song echoes all the way to now, if we let it. The poet Thomas Carlyle wrote this. At our eternal peril, we choose to ignore the thunder and the tenor of Mary's song. How remarkable it is that a young woman Some 2,000 years ago, a nobody by all the world's standards with dirt floors under her feet and a thatched roof over her head could connect her spirituality to the redemption of the world. Contrast, Mary, with the lives of the average middle-class person in most industrial societies. Our homes are so much larger Our life expectancy is so much longer. We literally have more years to be servants of the Lord. And our realm of influence is so much wider than hers. With the ways that we travel and the education that we have. But it's like our imaginations have shrunk. Our horizons have shrunk. And our participation in the life of God with it. From that little village... Mary, a peasant on the margins in every way, had the audacity to link herself to God's purposes. And after her, the early church had the audacity to do the same, to go into the all the world and to preach the gospel. Glendale Church of Christ, do we, like Mary, imagine that God is faithful to us for the sake of the world? If we can imagine it, I think that's where we get the spirituality of peace we are craving. This may sound corny, but I don't really mean for it to be. It turns out that pink t-shirt from Uganda is one that we should all be wearing. Men and women, when we receive communion, baby on board. Christ mysteriously lives in us through the power of the Holy Spirit showing us how to wait for his return with a radical spirituality of peace. Let's pray. Lord our God, you have given us quite a story to contemplate, quite a mission to imagine. And in some ways in our world today, it feels like Christianity is on the margins. We feel that sometimes. So God, remind us that we have the resilience and the strength that has been modeled to us by Mary, that you live in us, that you live and reign forever and ever. And so we pray that we will live waiting in all the right ways like Mary did, that when people see us and look at us as your people, as little Christs out in our world, that they will say, those people are waiting with a spiritual strength, with a spirituality of peace that I'm looking for, that I'm longing for. And God, give us the strength to know how to share that in a world that's changing, in a world that, We're not so sure what mission looks like all the time anymore. Show us, reveal to us, and help us corroborate with one another what that might be. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.